morning, Generations Church. Welcome to our online Sunday service. We are glad you can join us for church today. If you're our guest here, we're glad you could be with us. If you live local, we're also doing services outdoors. And we would love it if you would join us. You can come and social distance and be outdoors, but get you out of the house and, and worship with others. If not, stay home in your pajamas, make breakfast, and enjoy us online. Today we're in Exodus chapter 18. We're working our way through a series in the book of Exodus. We will actually cover the whole book in about 15 weeks. So just by that, if you're familiar with Exodus, 40 chapters, 15 weeks means we are doing the 10,000-foot view. We are overviewing just all that goes on in the book of Exodus. And what we're really doing is we're paralleling it to our lives today. As Israel begins enslaved in Egypt, and then they are uh, taken out of Egypt, and they wander through the wilderness, they go through a series of hardships. God is always there. God is always with them. But they work their way through a series of hardships. Sometimes they do really well. Sometimes they epically fail. But we're tying that together how, uh, to how we, as the church here in America, Southern California, in where we are, um, how we do in our times that are challenging. And right now, we're going through a season of coronavirus and racial tension and fires in California and floods on the other side. We're going through these things. And let's not leave out politics, right? It's a presidential election. This last week, we had, I think, the worst presidential debate in history, maybe, right? Where all of America is asking, is this the best we've got, you know? And here we are in this season, and and what we're doing is kind of trying to find our way and tying it to Exodus and asking this question how God uniquely wants to teach us about himself through our hardship, through our struggles or trials. And what happens in Exodus is God does some amazing things to reveal himself to the people as they endure struggle, hardship, trial, suffering, pain, the things that they go through as they wander through a wilderness. God teaches them more about himself. And so we're asking, what can we learn as Christians today, as the church here in America? What, how can we learn about God through our trials, through these struggles? And, and what we're learning is that God teaches us about himself uniquely through our hard times, things that we would not learn in easier or, dare we say, maybe more normal times. And so that's where we are. Uh, today, we're going to pivot from character traits of God to how we live in response to that. So here's our main idea, commandments, how God's people live. God prescribes how we are to live by covenanting with Moses, who represents the people, that we can be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests if we live as God teaches us to live. So we can be this, this promise God is going to say through Moses to the people today, we can become a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, and, and that really, that can be for the church today, that we can be a, a community of priests, those who go to the people on behalf of God and go to God on behalf of the people. That's really the, the role of a priest, that we can be a set-apart group of people that can do that if we will live as God has taught us to live, as God teaches us to do each day. And so let's pray, and we will dive into Exodus. God, thank you for the opportunity to gather together, be it in person or online. We are grateful for the gathering of saints. We are grateful that we gather together, even digitally. Lord, where we gather, it says, where two or more gathered, you are there in the midst of us, and, and we are gathering online, and, and we know that you are bigger than space, and so that you gather with us, and that you, something unique happens when we do church, even if it's online. And so, God, we're grateful that you're greater than the internet, greater than space and time, greater than our, 
our struggles. Will you now teach us how to live, Lord, the way you taught Israel how to live? Will you give us some, some challenge and, and, and some order and, and some creation, how we, how we are to be, how we are to live, how we are to treat one another? What we're to do, even in the midst of struggle, Lord, that we might see you powerfully in our culture, see you powerfully in our lives. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for, the, and for Israel, his people, and how the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. So here's a bit of background, right? We know Moses was raised in Egypt. If you're unfamiliar with the story, Moses was raised in Egypt, right? He, he is born to a Hebrew family in a time where Pharaoh is trying to rid the land of young Hebrew slaves or young Hebrew males that they might not grow up, become any bigger of a nation, and, and they become a threat to Egypt. And so Moses is kind of set afloat in a basket, and a woman of Egypt, a, a princess, the, the daughter of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, takes him and raises him in her home. Moses goes on later to figure out he's a Hebrew, and, and it connects with kind of the Hebrew people, but he's still really kind of an Egyptian, and, and he goes through this time where he finds two of them fighting, and he murders the Egyptian, and because of this, his people reject him, say, what are you going to kill us too? And then the Egyptians find out about it, and so he goes out into the wilderness on the run for murder, literally on the run for his life from Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he, uh, through this series of events, he meets a man named Jethro. He met his daughters first as young men often meet other men that way. Uh, he then meets Jethro, who is a priest. Now, it's interesting, we're talking about this, and at the end of the passage today, what we're going to see is God promised that we can become a kingdom of priests. And so in Jethro, we get to see kind of what may be coming in the people. Moses, God's prophet, has been leading the people of Israel, and now Moses is telling Jethro, the priest, who's been a follower of God a lot longer than Moses has, which is important to today's story, it's also his father-in-law, a man Moses respects, also important to our story today. And so we hear Moses telling his father-in-law, this priest, this follower of God, this lover of God, all the things that God has done for the people Israel. Verse 2, it says, Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons, the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a soldier in the foreign land, and the name of the other Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. So here's what we get. We get a, uh, some point, Moses had sent his wife and his two sons to go back to her dad's house, his father-in-law's house, their grandfather's house. And I, I'm not sure that we are ever told when that happened, but imagine you're going to go deliver people from Egypt. You're probably not going to take your family in to have this hostile environment as you plague Pharaoh of Egypt, or at least maybe as they're coming out of that. And Moses is encountering a lot of problems with the people, and the people are going from uh, a place of, of you know, happiness and delight in God to a place of grumbling like we talked about last week. And at times, really... They want to kill Moses. And, and so at some point, Moses has sent his family back to be with their family, her family, their grandfather. And so he now brings them back, and they're getting together. Moses is sharing the stories of the goodness of God, and they're meeting together. Verse 6, 
And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other of the welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And so Moses recounts God's deliverance of the people, right? He, he tells of all the hardship. Hey, we were chased by an army up against the Red Sea and God parted the Red Sea and, and we walked through on dry ground. And then behind us, God told me, and I, I lifted up my staff, and, and the army was, was drowned by God, and, and we were in the same sea, but they were drowning, and we were on dry land, and God is so good. You can imagine Moses telling his father-in-law, whom he loves and respects, all the amazing stories of how God has been faithful, how God has cared for them, the, the manna. He says, wait, till, you can just imagine Moses saying, wait, tonight, the quail are going to land on the ground. We're just going to grab them and cook them, right? It's amazing. God delivers these quail. And, and tomorrow morning, even more amazing, manna will be on the ground. This bread from heaven will be on the ground. And you can just imagine him telling the story to Jethro, his father-in-law. A lot of times what we do as Christians when we are gathering with people, when we are meeting with people that we care about, we will often tell the stories of our faith. We'll often share the gospel, how Jesus has entered into our story and how his life and death and resurrection have impacted our life and how, how God is using us or how God is training us or, or how God is transforming us or what God is revealing to us, how God has been good to us in the time of hardship. And this really kind of is a contrast to last week's grumbling of the people, right? The opposite of grumbling is when we gather together and we tell about the goodness of God, how we share the stories of how the gospel is, is impacting us or others through us, how Jesus, who has become our Savior, how, how God enters into our story and how his life and death and resurrection rescues us and redeems us and gives us, gives us joy even in these hard seasons, or how God, even in the midst of losing a job or having health struggles or all that's going on, how God provides. It's that kind of thing that we do as Christians that, that Moses is sitting down with his father-in-law now and just sharing the stories of God. If you've never heard that before, really the, the gospel is simple. It's that God loves you and desires a relationship for you. And that all of us have sinned and broken the relationship. That's why we're in need of a savior that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God but that Christ became flesh for us, that, that Jesus humbled himself and became flesh and lived the life that we're called to live and then died a death as our penalty that we could, instead of our paying the penalty and instead of us doing that, Jesus has done that. But death wasn't the end of the story. In fact, the most important story, part of the story is coming that, that Jesus will resurrect from the grave three days later. So he lives, he dies, and then raises back to life. And it's in that resurrection that the Christian knows, I have new life, right? It's in that that we find ourselves born again or filled with new life. It's in that resurrection that we are called to live in new ways. And so then the story of Jesus, the gospel, what impacts us? that Jesus goes on to ascend to heaven. And in that, he pours out his spirit on us. He literally empowers us with his own spirit that we can live day in, day out. 
that we become different people through this, through this work of Christ, this application of the gospel by the Holy Spirit to our lives, we become different. And so hopefully we learn these lessons of not grumbling last week and rather sharing the stories of our faith, sharing how the truth of Jesus has impacted our life, how the empowerment of Jesus is transforming us and how God who loves us is caring for us day by day throughout all of our needs. That's the gospel. As we, as we are Christians, we gather around the proclamation of the gospel, but then as we go and meet with others, not only do we share our story, but we also share Christ's story. And then when we gather together other believers, we celebrate all that God is doing, and that brings us back to our worship service. Not only are we proclaiming, but we're celebrating what Christ has done. Today, we will worship, we will celebrate what Christ has done and we do that every Sunday, and then we proclaim what Christ has done, and then we celebrate again what Christ has done, and, and that becomes the cycle of the story of our life and the gospel. Moses is doing this with Jethro right now, and we're talking about how do we live as people of God. So here's a note for you. God's people live in light of what God has done. God's victory over Egypt gave the Israelites hope for a future. We have Christ's victory over Satan's sin and death. We live in hope because of Jesus. You see, the story of the gospel isn't something that happened 2,000 years ago, that this random event or this promised event that wasn't random, but this, this thing takes hold of our life or it introduces us to God or something. It's that, that Jesus is alive today. It's that Jesus not only lives on in us, but is actually physically alive today, that he lived and he died and he rose again. And in that he promises, I will return at the end of time, at the culmination of all things, when, when it is right, when it is good, when I have gathered all the people that I will gather, I will return. And so we live in hope of that. We know that coronavirus can't stop the world, that, that politics can't fix the world, but that also racial tensions won't get the best of us. That Jesus not only restores things through us today, but ultimately fixes everything upon his return. And so we long for the day when that moment where we will be with Jesus here on earth and Jesus will make everything right. He will make all that is broken right. We will have bodies that no longer get sick. We will live with people who look nothing like us and yet we will have everything in common because of Christ. So verse 10, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, all idols, all false worship, right? Because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. They literally worship together. Some of the elder statesmen of the tribes, they gather together. Now, there's an interesting term here. We're going to see the word elders used here in the verse we just read. And it's not going to be used again, but we're going to talk about elders today. And we're going to talk about elders in the New Testament context. But we're going to, it starts here. What happens here is that the people that are the oldest in the tribes... They gather with Moses and Aaron and Jethro, and they gather, they worship together, they offer sacrifice together. Well, what's going to ha actually happen is Jethro is going to look at what is taking place, and he's going to call Moses to raise up those elders to co-lead with him. And so we see this gathering of people, we see this, this collection of influential people as they worship God together, 
And then we see just kind of a stark contrast in how things work in the wilderness with Israel and Moses right now. So here we are, verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. So judges uh, in the Old Testament, or judging what we're seeing here, there's a book called Judges. Uh, That book is filled with a bunch of corrupt leaders that are more like political power leaders, a lot more like our politicians today than our judges. Uh, I know that that's kind of in the conversation right now as we look at a new Supreme Court justice, maybe. So don't think judge like a Supreme Court justice or a courtroom judge. In the book of Judges, there are corrupt politicians. What happens back here with Moses is not the office of judge, but the, the action of judging. And it's really, if you would, just swap out for the word discerning. Helping people discern what is right or wrong in their lives. We kind of go to therapists or counselors or pastors for this, but it's really a spiritual leadership position over people. So when people would come together and they would have problems, they would bring their problem to Moses. That's kind of like the office of judge, maybe a courtroom where people are trying to litigate a solution. But for the most part, part, this is just how does God teach us to respond to this circumstance? Or how does God call us to live in this thing and we're, as we're trying to kind of do our best in it? So all the people, now if you back up to the deliverance out of Egypt, which was roughly three months prior to this event, there was millions coming out of Egypt and a conservative estimate of millions, right? And so you can just imagine all the problem that millions of people have, right? You can just kind of picture, if you will, all the struggles we have in Southern California, that's millions, right? It might be a little less than that, but that's a good way to gauge this. And so as we look at LA or or we look at an area, imagine you have Moses over LA, right? That's kind of the setting. And imagine everybody in LA who has a problem because now we never have problems in LA, right? But you can imagine that they would bring that to Moses and Moses is sitting there all day, every day, hearing people and trying to discern God's way through their life for them, with them, but for them. It says the people stood around Moses from morning to evening. I just want you to kind of feel that for a minute. Just kind of place yourself in Moses' setting, right? Imagine all the outcomes kind of depend on you. When people can't find a solution, they're coming to you. When they're not sure what they should do or not do, they're coming to you. When, when two people disagree, they're coming to you, and you're sitting all day, every day, hearing from people, discerning God's will for them, and and just helping them live their life. Verse 14, it says, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Here's Jethro's question. Why are you doing this alone all day, every day, sitting around morning until evening, hearing out the people, right? And, And I just want you to get kind of a glimpse into the leadership mindset, if you will, and good and both good and bad. Uh, leadership tendencies uh, kind of have some commonality. Leaders tend to want what God wants for the people, like they not desiring what they want. A good leader wants what God wants for them, like really cares about people. Leaders who are not in it for power are in it for people. They want God's best for people. As I've had the great privilege of training up a lot of pastors. I remember having conversations with men you know, Pastor Vinny, Pastor Mike, just what a pastor is, is and, and you get this heart, right, is that we want God's will for them, God's best for the people, whatever people we're talking about, 
probably oftentimes more than they want it. Like, we want to see them follow God passionately. We want to see them honor God in their lives, in their marriages, sometimes more than people even want it for themselves. And that's what makes up a pastor, the heart of a pastor. And what we see here is Moses sitting around, and he wants God's best for all these people, but it's consuming his life. It is all day, every day, consuming him, right? And, and people's tendency also, there's this sense that maybe only Moses can answer my question, right? Now back up just a minute in the worship service the night before with Jethro, Moses, and the leadership, the older statesmen of Israel. See, those older statesmen should be and probably are well well-educated, well-versed, well-disciplined in what God has called them to. They should be, and they probably are. We're going to see that, that Moses has no problem raising up some men that will help him in a minute. But instead of going to them, the people over their tribes who have authority with them, they keep going to Moses. And there's this tendency of Moses to want to be there for everybody, and there's this tendency of the people to only think Moses can help them. And so here we are all day, every day, Moses discerning God's will for people. Now, some seasons feel like that in ministry. There's just this endless thing, right? And, 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 and you desire the best for people, but it's not healthy. And, and, and Jethro, his father-in-law, is saying, listen, you can't be the only one. Why are you doing this alone? So verse 15, it says this, and Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me and inquire of God. That's his answer. Why are you doing this all day, every day, for everybody, all alone? Well, because the people keep coming, right? Verse 16, when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws, right? Why are you doing this alone? Well, the people keep coming, right? But, and, and it's not just that. He says, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. I make them know the statutes and the laws of God. Like my heart is that they will know God's law. They will know God's word. They will know God's will for their life. Like, I, for me, I, I, don't, it, I want them to know God's law. It, you can hear in Moses' heart, it's not that I want to tell people what to do or not do or decide who's right or wrong. I want them to know God. I want them to know God's law. I want them to know God's words. I want them to have God's blessing. I want them to be God's people. That's the heart of a leader. Verse 17 says this, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what, are you, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So instead of doing this alone, there should be many people doing the same thing, whether that be in this context, back in Egypt with the tribe, or back in, in the wilderness with the tribes, or the, the tribal leaders, or the elder statesmen. But God has chosen Moses uniquely to be a leader just not to do this all day, every day. And Jethro, who has been a follower of God longer than Moses had, who is a priest of God in Midian, he, he tells Moses, this, this won't last. This can't go on forever. You're going to burn everybody out. You're going to burn out. They're going to burn out. It's not going to work this way, right? What you're doing, he said, is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For this thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Right? Those are the things he says. This isn't good, right? You can't do this alone. This is too heavy, right? You need some help here, right? Verse 19. Now obey my voice, Jethro says, and I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them 
about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do, right? So Jethro looks at Moses and says, Moses, here's your job. You're the one that should be going to God and hearing from God. God has anointed you, called you, like God has chosen you for this job, right? You should go and God wants, God keeps speaking to you, right? And then you should bring that back to the people and unpack that for the people and teach that to them, right? Moses, modern day vernacular, like you need to kind of stay in your lane where God has created you to be. And if you remember, if you back up to the week prior when the people were disobedient, God goes to Moses, blames Moses for their disobedience, even when he's obeying, but they're not. And he says, listen, you should be teaching them, right? You're in charge of teaching them. So God has given Moses a job. He did not give Moses the job of hearing every concern of every person. And Jethro kind of shows up and he sees this and he points this out to Moses. Now, we're asking, how do we live? So what do we learn from this story? So uh, leaders, here's a note for you, leaders live in humility. No one person can do everything. I know my wife is going to hold this against me when I get home. She's going to go, see, you should listen to yourself. But no one person can do everything. Leaders must learn this lesson of humility, showing God's people that no leader is capable or gifted to do all things. Leaders should lead through humility. Leaders should learn to stay in the lane that God has given them, right? And, and that through humility should teach others, hey, listen, I, not, everyone can, not anyone can do all things, right? That, that each person has a role, that there's a collection, modern day t- t- vernacular, right? That we are collected together as the church, right? God never calls individuals to follow him without a community. God calls people to follow him in community, Even when God called Moses, he sent him back to get the people. Now he's called them to lead a community, right? God calls Abraham out of Ur, the Chaldees, not even a follower of God. And he says, listen, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. You're going to bless the people, right? Community. There's never this solo relationship with God. We don't set out with a Bible in one hand, a journal in the other, God, and just think that's it. That's what Christianity is, is me, Jesus, Bible, journal, and here we go. You can't do that. It's a community of people. It's because community challenge us and, and better us, and they, they teach us, and they listen to us, and we get to teach them. It's reciprocal. But also, there's a need. People have needs, and, and I can't, or Moses can't, or you can't be everything to everyone. It takes a community. It takes a tribe of people, if you will. Verse 21, Jethro continues. He says, Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God men who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Raise up men, he says, to be leaders. I want you to find men who are of good character, who are full of God, who hate a bribe, right? If they're going to discern between two people, we don't want someone who can be bought, right? We want people of, and I'm just going to short form this, men who love God, men of good character, right? Raise up such men and put them over levels of authority that they can handle. Just think fast forward, if you will, to the parables that Jesus tells. And some people are, you know, five talent gifted people, and some are three, and some are one. Like, gifts have been given to everybody. We're called to use them, but not in equal measure. And some gifts can be cultivated and grown into a larger thing. And sometimes some people are just two talent guys, and others are just 10 talent guys. Sometimes that just happens. 
Men and women are, are gifted by God, all of us, and it's called for the community of people. The Bible teaches us that to each has been given a manifestation of the Spirit or a giftedness of the Spirit, that we are to build up the body together for the body, it says, right? So this idea of community is, is baked into all of Christianity. So raise up men to be elders. And I just want to pause. There's a deficit of men in the church today. Uh, we are fortunate. We... Uh, we aim at this a bit, but we are roughly 50-50 men to women, and, and that's not normal in churches. Churches tend to be more about 60% women, 40% men. Uh, the churches are missing men, right? And God has called us to both lead in our home uniquely and, and lead in the church uniquely, and that no, we're not to lord it over, and yes, there are some amazingly gifted women, and, and then we have lots of great gifted women, but that husbands are supposed to lead their families towards God and, and, and men are supposed to be elders in the church leading the church toward God. And, and God calls Moses into this space and this is going to be the beginning of what takes shape in the New Testament office of elder. Men of good character, men who love God, men who can't be bought off, let them help you lead Moses. Moses, you need to go do what God has called you to do. Just imagine this, just to kind of lock this into place for a minute. If Moses is busy hearing the concerns of every person all the time, any who have need, all day, every day, how can he possibly go up and hear from God? How can he possibly break away to get filled up by God and, and hear what God would say that the people need to hear? How can he possibly, if every day he is kind of doing something that's not really what he was built to do? So restart verse 21. I want to go back to that. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. So the role of elders is to be these able men that can come alongside with Moses and they can take care of a lot of the problems, a lot of the needs. They can help people discern what is God calling me to do or, hey, my wife and I disagree or, or my neighbor and I disagree and, and help us to solve this, discern God's will for us here. And when something is, is big and, and it requires more, of course they can include Moses. But Moses needs to be this unique guy in this moment because he's the one God has been talking to. He's the one God has been using to accomplish things. And so we need some help here. So I want to I put a note on the screen for you. It's called just a plurality of elders. And I just want you to know this is, at Generations Church, this is how we lead. This is who leads our church. It's a plurality, a group of elders. Scripture teaches us to call godly men who are above reproach. That's the language that Paul will use, above reproach. In other words, Men who are of good character, who are not known to be something that would lead us off track, above reproach, to share the load as elders, to co-lead the people as they find their way in life by faith. Now, generations, we've been blessed to have many amazing, amazing men uh, as elders. And uh, as we've, over the last few years, as we have sent out to plant churches and sent out to restart churches and do that, um, man, the, the board, uh, the elder board, the group of us have just kind of dwindled down. And so, Right now, in fact, you'll probably hear more about this in the next week or so, right now we've got some men that are coming alongside of us that, we're, are, that are on their way to becoming elders. And we look forward to sharing those with you and just showing you the men that God has been bringing us and what God is doing. Uh, we look forward to celebrating that with you. Verse 23, it says, If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. 
And all this people also will go to their place in peace. So notice the outcome. He says, if you do this, God will direct you and you'll be able to endure. If you don't, not so much, right? You're going to burn yourself out. This, this will kill you, Moses. You can't do this alone. Verse 24, so Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law, and he did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. And they judged the people at all times. Remember, this is lead the people, guide the people, discern God's will for the people. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart and went away to his own country. It's that first line, so Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. I want you to just hear this, that Moses, though he is chosen by God to lead, knows, here's the humility, he knows that he needs help. He knows that he also needs to be a listener, right? Not just a leader, not just a speaker, but a listener. The mark of a good leader is that humility. They know also how to listen. Exodus 19, verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, that's 90 days later or so, three months. On that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they set out from Rephidim, and they came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness, and there Israel encamped before the mountain. Well, Moses went up to God, the Lord called out from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have, been, have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God calls Moses up on the mountain. And so I just want you to, to see what is so significant here. As Moses stops trying to be everything to everyone, what happens is others become that, that place that people can go. And then Moses is freed to go up and hear from God again. And what God does now in this space where Moses is not doing things he wasn't called to do, but is doing what he's called to do, as he does that, God gives him something brand new. In fact, it comes in the strongest of terms. It comes in the form of a covenant. And, and a covenant is the strongest biblical term for a promise or agreement between two parties. And it's based on some conditions. And, and as you heard them right here, right? All the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant. So here's where we are. I, I will bless you. You'll become a, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. You will become a whole kingdom of people, a massive nation of people who exist to bring God to others and bring others to God. That's what a priest does, right? That they bring God to others and, and bring others to God. And if you will be obedient, if you'll listen to my voice, and if you'll do this, and, and Moses, teach the people, then this is what it will look like. This is an incredible thing. He says, you will be my treasured possession. He says, the earth, all of it is mine, and I'm choosing you. Here's the conditions. Live the way I call you to live. And we're focusing a lot about leadership in this passage today, but the call to the people is to live according to God's law, according to God's plan for them. Verse 7, it says, So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. So Moses rightly goes first now to the elders of the people, right? So now, again, and we hear these people called elders. So as they're raised up to be spiritual leaders, they're considered elders. They're not just the oldest people in the tribe. 
They're now the spiritual leaders, the elders of the people. And he set before them all these words that God had said. Verse 8, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord as if God didn't hear them already, right? Here's what the people say. We'll do all that God says that we are supposed to do. Now, you and I all know that won't last long, right? Their heart's in the right place. We want to be obedient. We also know they're human, right? They're sinful, like you and I are sinful and in need of a savior. That very salvation we talked about earlier where Jesus transforms us. We, we all know we're in need of that. And so we also know when we see this, that's what's inevitable in this story. The people are going to fall short. But it's not like God doesn't know that either. See, God is prepared for all of that. And God is going to speak to them and teach them how they are to live. So I'm going to skip down to verse 18. So about 10 verses later, it says, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Take that as an image, this mountain covered by fire and smoke, right? The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Two things about leadership. Sometimes leadership can be incredibly frightening, and other times you can see some amazing things that God does. So just take that image, this mountain wrapped in fire, speaking in thunder. I don't, don't even know. But just imagine how fearful you might be ascending that mountain. But then when you get there and you're surrounded by the, the power, the sheer magnitude of God, imagine the experience that you get to have with God. Frightening. Amazing, Right? So a couple verses later, I'm going to skip down to Exodus chapter 20, and I want to tee this up, kind of, so what big thing is God setting Israel up for? He's got some leaders, he's got Moses back in his lane, focused, fire on a mountain, craziness going on, and all this, what is God doing? Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 says this, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember who I am before I start talking, God says. Verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God is prepared for their failure, repent and love me, fail and be disciplined, right? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Vain there means common. Don't use God's name in a common way, right? Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I saw an author I deeply respect who is super smart, way smarter than I'll ever be, and he commented about the Sabbath, and he just, again, I say this with all humility, he's super smart, but he said the Sabbath is a Sinaitic covenant or a Sinai covenant, Moses covenant, uh, part of the Mo covenant to Moses. And I just, just so you hear this, Sabbath was created 
in creation, right, given to man before sin entered into human history, Sabbath is even older. And we talked about that last week. It's not just a part of the Mosaic Covenant or the Sinaitic Mount Sinai's Covenant. It goes all the way back to before sin, when humanity was made, the first day they got was the Sabbath. Sabbath isn't about taking a day off of work. It's about being with God. It's about being with God, being with the community of God, being with your family. It's about resting in our faith, not taking a day off from work. This is what God teaches the people. All these things, how to talk about God, what to do, how to worship God and not worship God, God is saying, here's how you worship me. Verse 12, honor your father and mother that your days shall be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So first, here's how you worship God. Here's how you love God the way God has called you to love him. The second one is here's how you love your neighbor the way God is calling you to love your neighbor. Verse 18, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God to speak to us lest we die. They're like, Moses, the whole prophet thing you got going on, I don't want any part of it. You go talk to God, I'll be over here, right? Like you, you got that job all handled. And, see, and really what we see here is Moses is wired for that job. God has called him to that job. And, and to be fair and to be honest, just transparent about the whole story, Moses starts out a really unwilling, reluctant, is an understatement, servant. He says no to God a bunch of times, but God grows him to this moment. God has spoken to him before. God, as, as Moses ascends the mountain, I'm sure there's a sense of awe and reverence. There's still a sense of fear, like this could go south really fast, right? But God has made Moses into this man. But God has also now created a, a, a kind of a, a practice for the people that allows Moses to be the man he's supposed to be, allows others to be the people they're supposed to be, allows all the men and women, all the millions of the people of Israel to be the people God has called them to be. That's what this has all been about. And so as we look at the Ten Commandments, yes, those are the Ten Commandments. Those are amazing. That's Exodus 20. That we just heard from God the Ten Commandments, the things that hang in our Supreme Courts, the things that we have been so taught are so amazing. But what I want to look at is not that. That's about loving God and loving our neighbor. But how we got to that was God teaching people that everybody plays a role in the people of Israel, modern day version, everybody plays a role in the church. Everybody has their place. And, and sometimes we're a place where we're in need. We, we bring problems to people. Sometimes that's what we need. And we go and, and we have that. And, and Moses, the leader that is so highlighted in this story, is not the hero of the story, right? Moses has needs too. And Jethro tells him, hey, you can't keep doing what you're doing. But Moses is a solid leader. He hears he, he listens, he humbles himself and learns. So Moses is not the hero of the story, and clearly the people of Israel are not the hero of the story, and, and the elders are not the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero of the story, as this all points forward to him. But even if that's obscured, or even if that's far off, clearly God is the hero of the story. I am the God who delivered you out of Egypt. See, God is the one we're focused on. And so if God calls this person to be this and, and that person to be this, and then God calls us over here to do this, and then 
way over here, we've got, we've got a, a different job for us over here. God is the hero of the story, not us. God is who we serve. One another is who we love, but God is who we serve, even as we care for one another. And so as we look at all this, we ask ourselves the question, like, what's the big key event that gets to the Ten Commandments? And really, it's Moses untying himself from, from this thing day in, day out, that he was not made to be, that he was not made to do, and that he was not, he was not only kind of robbing himself of the thing he was supposed to do, but also he was robbing the other people that should be doing it. They had a role, they could be living, and Moses was in the way, right? And Jethro had to tell that to him and show him, hey, listen, if you play your role, if you do your thing amongst the people, God's going to do amazing things. And, and then there's other people that can do this. And it's not that this is lower, better, worse, or anything else. It's different. And that God has created us uniquely to all fill in the gap of our faith, to fill in the gaps of our community. And sometimes we, we struggle with this, and we've got wrong people in wrong places, and, and kind of the roles don't fit. But what Jethro does for us is just a person, a priest, somebody, not, also not the sto- hero of the story, just points out, hey, when you have the right person in the right place, what happens is the whole community is blessed. Because most of these people don't want to be Moses. And, And Moses needs to be Moses because we all need Moses speaking, letting us know what is God saying to us right now. So what do we do with all this? And I want to finish with a verse that we all hear and we all know. And we talked about this verse a few months back, right as coronavirus right before, right as it was getting started. Um, But it's in 1 Corinthians 12. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. Before God does what is amazing up on Mount Sinai, God has to teach them This isn't all about Moses, right? In fact, it's not about Moses at all. It's about God. God rescued them from Egypt. Moses also needed to learn that, and other leaders need to be raised up, and people need to be taught that, and all the members of Israel needed to become one, one body, many members. And church, that's what we need today. And we do this all the time. We see community group leaders raise up, and we see women's leaders raise up, and we see children's leaders raise up, and, and we've brought on uh, some admin with Lily, and Alex is our intern for youth right now, and, and we, may or may, we may be really close to having a worship pastor on staff that we're excited about. We have elders in the shoot ready to do this, and this is all about being the members of one body because none of us are the hero of the story, but Jesus is. We're members of his body. He is our head And we do what Jesus calls us and creates us and equips us to do. Will you pray with me? Jesus, it's because of you that we're here. It's because of you that that we have our life and our breath. We are baptized into your life and your death and your resurrection. And we are baptized into your spirit. And we're baptized into your church, your body. And so if you choose one to be a prophet and one to be an elder and one to be something over here and one to be something, it doesn't really matter, God, uh, that, that, that you call us. That's what matters, that you, Jesus, are the hero of the story and, and you deliver us through our struggles. And so we learn in this season of hardship that, that we all have a role to play. And, and that's been strained by coronavirus, to be fair. 
but that we learn how to care for one another and be the body in this season. If we've learned one thing, it's that Sundays aren't everything, or when they're removed from us, they can't be most of anything. But rather, our small groups, our living rooms, our small group leaders, that has become the place where you have cared for us all. And so God, as, as we work through this, as we near a season, probably on the other side of the election where things start to return to some sense of normalcy, let us remember that we are the body, that Sundays isn't church, that the buildings, isn't, uh, the buildings are not church. We are the church and that we are all members of your body and that we exist in small communities caring for one another and loving one another, leading and guiding one another, discerning your will with one another and then hearing your voice, and then responding and worshiping you corporately, together, and it's beautiful, Lord. And so thank you, Jesus, for all of that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.